Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. As always, I hope you guys are having an especially good week this week as we're ending off um, the last week of May. Um, As you know, if you didn't, MD is out of town, so I will be doing this episode solo. So we're going to get right into our crime case, but not before I give you guys a couple of announcements. Now, we did end our sports theme that we had been doing for the past three weeks, and we hope that you guys enjoyed that. But we're going to be moving on into infamous cases that you may or may not have heard about. We're going to kind of shy away from things that has been very publicized and kind of give you some things that maybe didn't get just a ton of publicity um, around the nation. So we're going to get into that. But I also want to remind you guys to leave us a review because we are holding a giveaway. And once MD is back, we will be picking five random winners to receive some gift cards, right? So make sure that you leave us a review, a written review, and tell us how you feel about the show. We want to know. We want to hear from you. But let's get into our crime case for today. Before I begin this case, I have to tell you guys a warning. This particular case does involve children being murdered. And if you are especially sensitive to that, I respect your feelings and want to encourage you to join us next week for our case then, because this case does get gruesome. Our story begins November 19th. 2010 in Tallahassee, Florida. Yes, we're back in Florida. And it's Thanksgiving break and Brandy Peters is being or getting prepared for Thanksgiving break as many of us were during that time. Now, she was scheduled to go out and visit one of her close cousins in Tampa, Florida for the break and she was going to take her children. Now, Brandy had a set of twins, and a young boy. The twins' names were Tamaya and Tanaya, and her young uh, little boy's name was Javante. Now, the twins were six. Javante was three. And, you know, you can imagine, like, trying to get your kids together, even for, like, a couple of hours, is just like, uh, it can make an adult just go crazy. Want to make an adult go crazy? Tell them to get packed for young children, okay? So Brandy was, like, trying to, like, get prepared for that. She was excited. Both cousins were excited. And her sister cousin just couldn't wait to, like, be with her. So on November 19th, on that Friday night, she actually calls Brandy um, just to talk about the trip, talk about what's been going on, catch up. And she was just overall just very excited to, you know, talk to Brandy and see her. But Brandy doesn't pick up the phone and it's very easy for sister cousin to just like dismiss that, you know, Brandy went to sleep early or maybe something's going on with the kids. She's trying to get the kids ready for bed. So she just said, you know, I'm going to call Brandy in the morning. And she does. Saturday morning, she calls her 
And Brandy should be in the car, okay? Because Brandy was scheduled to be down there on November 20th. So she's like, okay. I don't know why Brandy's not picking up the phone, but she did have to get her kids ready, get them in the car, get them organized. So she kind of finds a reason to justify why Brandy doesn't pick up the phone on that Saturday morning. But, you know, why would she think anything happened? I mean, Brandy was supposed to come down there. So she kind of just felt like Brandy would call her back. Little did she know that a gruesome event happened at Brandy's home. On November 20th, Tallahassee 911 dispatcher gets a phone call that they should immediately come out to the south side of Tallahassee in a neighborhood that was very nice to investigate a crime. Now, when the police arrive, there's about 30 to 40 neighbors who are super concerned, you know, crowding outside of Brandy's home. They enter the back of the home, like they come through the back door and there's a very long hallway that outstretches to the foyer, the front door. And that is where they find on the floor of the foyer, Brandy deceased. And I don't know how to paint this picture for you guys any better than how I'm about to describe it now. The front foyer was full of blood. The the foyer, the floor of the foyer where Brandy lay was bloodied. There was blood splatter all on the door and just surrounding the foyer area on the walls, just everywhere on the door. And they could tell that Brandy fought for her life. They even discovered that Brandy tried to get out of the front door. She was successful. However, she was dragged back in. And that is where she met her ultimate fate, unfortunately. So they find Brandy. EMT is on scene. They then go back to the back of the house because they are hoping that they find the children alive, that they find the children in the home. Like they don't have any idea. They just they can't imagine what they may find. And they're hoping to just find the kids alive and well. So they enter the master bedroom first and they find like it completely kind of ransacked and they kind of make an assumption that the altercation probably more than likely started in the master bedroom and led to the foyer. They also find that there's a phone cord for a home line that was ripped out of the wall. And they they kind of go through that, sift through that, and then they continue further to the back of the house. The lights are completely off. There's no sound. And they enter into the bedroom, the bathroom, I'm sorry. And they find a tub of water. But the water is completely red. It's full of blood. And they find her two twins in the water, deceased, Tamaya and Tanaya. Now, they pull them out of the water. And initially, they just felt like, okay, maybe Javante is alive because they didn't see him. But as they pulled the twins out of the water, they discovered three-year-old Javante's body at the bottom of the tub being covered by the twins. 
So the police on scene are just absolutely, they are, they, they noted that they had never seen a crime scene like this before. They couldn't imagine anybody killing children. They just, they didn't understand. Like everybody was just completely devastated. And I'm using the word devastated, but that is the understatement of the year uh, because devastation doesn't even begin to describe um, how Brandy's family felt, her friends, the children's families. It's it's just a, it was just terrible. And I, I, I try to, I fumble over my words now because I cannot imagine. So at this point, sister cousin down in Tampa is kind of waiting for Brandy to call her back, but she actually receives a phone call from Dennis, Brandy's brother, and he, through tears and his own set of devastation, tells her that Brandy is deceased, and he just keeps saying, Brandy's gone. Brandy's not here. She's gone. And sister cousin can't even, she doesn't know what to do with that because it doesn't make any sense to her. And if you guys, anybody, if if any of you have lost someone suddenly like that and you had no idea that they were going to pass away, there was no sickness, it was very sudden, you know how Sister Cousin felt. She felt just dumbfounded. Like she didn't understand uh, the words that were coming out of Dennis's mouth. And she actually had to say, hey, let me call you back. Because she could not process Brandy being dead. She just talked to Brandy. She just had conversations with Brandy. She just made plans with Brandy. So it was just more than she could handle. But once she kind of like wrestled with it for a couple of minutes in her mind, she immediately called Dennis back and she said, hey, listen, where are the kids? And that's when he informs her that the kids are gone too. And I mean, it's through that that you're able to just briefly for a moment get a sense of the grief and the pain that her family went through, knowing that not only was Brandy deceased, but so were her children. Now, the investigation begins, but I would be less than remiss if I did not tell you a little bit about who Brandy Peters was and who her children were because they were people, they were alive on this planet and they meant something to somebody. And so we have to discuss who they were. Now, Brandy is described as fun loving. She was charismatic. She loved to love her family. She was a great mother, of course, and she was just an all around beautiful soul. Now, the one thing that they said about Brandy that I that I found interesting and very relatable is that Brandy was kind and she was very nice until you gave her reason not to be, until you crossed her. So she was feisty. She had a little bit of feisty in her. And she did not play around. But if you didn't give her a reason to, if you didn't take her kindness for weakness, she was as sweet as apple pie, Okay. So her twins, Tamaya and Tanaya, they were described as smart. They could be feisty, just like their mother, as daughters often emulate them. 
And they were just all around just a fun set of twins who were enjoying school, by the way. Now, Javante was young and he was the baby of the family, but he was all boy. Don't get it twisted. He got into everything. Another relatable thing, because I have a son myself who was the baby and he gets into everything all the time. And so that's how Javante was. He was involved in everything and she was raising her family the best way she knew how. So police were just trying to figure out what happened here. Like Brandy was a single mother, lived in a nice neighborhood, a nice home, had nice schools. Who would do something like this? Were they targeted? Was this a random act of violence? Like this happened like in the, they were presuming it happened either in the early morning of Saturday morning or at night that Friday. So they kind of felt like someone had to hear see something because you know this this doesn't make any sense so the police were trying to investigate and dig further into what happened ultimately to this family so their next like step in the investigation was to notify uh the next of kin for the children right because they had already notified brandy's family that, you know, Brandy and her children were deceased. So they had to notify the children's family. Now, the next of kin for the twins was their father, Antonio Anthony. And the twins had a different father than Javante. So they learned that just a week before the murder, Antonio and Brandy went to court And she got an order of $350 in child support from Antonio because he had not been paying and she needed some help with her children. And Antonio was an older guy. He was older than Brandy. And he also was a convicted felon. He actually was just released from prison you know, a week prior, two two weeks prior to them even going to court. So he hadn't even been on the street for a minute, you know, outside, I should say, for a while. So one of the police officers commented that Antonio Anthony was actually on the scene when they were processing the um, house and trying to, you know, get the bodies transported and get the autopsies done, all of those things. He was actually there. He was a part of the crowd that was there on scene. So he walks over to Antonio and he says, you know, hey, like, we need you to come and talk to us, like kind of demanding that he come and talk to them. And Antonio, who has a a bottle of malt liquor in his hand, breath smells of alcohol, says to them, well, look, I will talk to y'all, but I have to see my daughter's. He was very adamant about that. He's like, I don't, you know, you're not about to make me talk to you right now. I need to make sure that my kids are okay. So a little background to Antonio and Brandy's relationship. They were together for about two and a half years and they actually met through sister cousin. Okay. And Antonio, as I've already stated, was older than Brandy and sister cousin and Brandy were about 19 or 20 years old once, you know, when Antonio came around and 
they were together. They said that, you know, he had an extensive criminal history. So once she got pregnant with the twins, he actually was, he went off to jail. I mean, to prison. And so he didn't even see the kids a lot. Like, so when he came down to the police station, he told the police officers that he didn't even have a real relationship with his kids established yet. Like, he was trying to get to that. And now that they had, like, the child support judgment dealt with, he was planning on spending time with the kids, getting to know the twins, and really kind of, like, establishing that relationship with them. But of course, he had that opportunity stolen for him, stolen from him because of the recent murder that occurred. And really, Brandy really kind of like closed the door on that relationship because he was such a bad boy. I mean, she was attracted to him because he was a bad boy. But also, that is kind of what ended their relationship, too, because he wasn't taking care of his kids because he was in prison and he just wasn't doing the right things. And so she kind of like, was like, hey, listen, you can have a relationship with your kids, but this between us is not going to happen. So that was closed. That relationship was closed. Now, he tells police officers that, you know, he didn't have a problem with her taking him to court for child support. But the fact of the matter is, is that he just didn't really have it. Like, he just got out of prison. He had a job. You know, he just... He was doing the best he could, right, in in his own words. And he provided the police with an alibi, and they told him that they would be in touch, and they dismissed him. And they didn't really feel like that he was even their guy. You know what I mean? And his alibi checked out, so they dismissed him and continued to notify the next of kin for Javante. And Javante's father's name was Henry Segura, and Henry wasn't a street guy. Like, so if you were to put both of these guys up um, together and compare them, he was the total opposite of Antonio Anthony. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He wasn't in the streets in terms of doing crime. Um, he was a family man. You know, he had a good job. He could provide. And so you could see how she kind of like matured in the guy that she wanted, at least from the standpoint of optics, because she went from this bad guy to this guy who could provide and who could fit into a family dynamic. Now, he told investigators that, um, you know, he actually had left Brandy, like him and Brandy's relationship ended because he left Brandy to go and see if he could work it out with his wife. And he said that, you know, he wanted to be a present father for Javante. So he did sign the birth birth certificate once she had him. Um, And he said that he put himself on child support. Now, Let's pause for the cause just for a second and briefly talk about this child support situation because it seems to keep resurfacing. So Antonio Anthony didn't put himself on child support. And you may wonder why people or men, women, whatever, but often men go and put themselves on child support. Well, 
I wish MD was here because <laughs> as an attorney, I think she could just like break it down just a little bit better than I could. But essentially, you know, it's best to put your chi- yourself on child support in in contrast to just giving the mother of your child money because you may end up spending more. Um, whereas if you go to court and they give you this amount based on your salary and your income, then you're just set to just pay that amount um, monthly. Every month it's set and you're not finding yourself spending like a lot more versus you determining the amount. And then you know the amount is sufficient for what the mother may need based on what you have, right? So I kind of understood Henry putting himself on child support because I think think a lot of people and the police also found it suspicious to why he did that because most people don't do that. But that is a reason why many people do put themselves on child support. So that's essentially what he claimed. He said, you know, I was trying to just make sure that my son was taken care of. I didn't want to go through the drama of anything because I already wanted to take care of my son, even though I was going back to my wife. Now, Henry pretty much establishes with the police that he put himself on child support to show Brandy that, hey, this part of the relationship is done with me and you. I'm here to just take care of my son. He said that they remained friends and they really had no issues In addition to, he gave police his alibi for where he was on Friday and Saturday. He said Friday, he never left the house. He stayed at home all day and worked on a car. He even offered the police to look at his cell phone because he said it'll show that his location never left the house that day. Now, he says on Saturday that he did meet up with a friend very early in the morning to practice bowing because he was interested in hunting a deer and using a bow and arrow. So he practiced on that. He provided the friend's number and they asked that they could take his DNA. He fully cooperated and they kind of was left. Police were left with their hands in the air trying to figure out who would do this then. Because the two men in her life who she had a relationship with, even at one time and had children with, they they seemed to check out. So they really kind of went into go mode in terms of the investigation. I've already stated that it took police about two to three days to process the crime scene. And when they got the autopsies back, both from Brandy and uh, the children, they said that the injuries were so severe and so numerous that it took the medical examiner, like he wrote over five pages, which was very extensive for, um, for the crime that happened. So Brandy was shot a total of nine times. I think it's worth saying that Brandy didn't die from a gunshot. She actually died from being beat. She was beat so severely that that's ultimately what killed her. Now, the children, and they didn't say, they didn't give give specifics on which children were drowned, but they said two children were actually drowned in the bathtub and then one child was shot. 
So the passion that it took for this person to carry out this crime, to do something so personal as drown a child and shoot a child and then shoot Brandy over nine times and then beat her to death. I mean, the passion that it took for the perpetrator to do this just showed the intensity of hate from him or them. So they actually, as they were processing the crime scene and tagging everything, they found some letters from somebody in prison. And the it, the one letter just seemed like it, you know, they suspected that it came on Friday and Brandy was at her dresser and she opened the letter. So it was opened already. And it was from a guy named James Santos. Now, he portrayed himself as high-ranking, a high-ranking gangster um, in a gang in prison. He proposed to her, asked to marry her, and said that he would give her $25,000 and a Mercedes-Benz. Now, you may ask, does she even know this person? The answer to that question is no. She does. She did not know James Santos. Like, she hadn't visited him. But she did have a friend who was locked up with James. And, you know, they felt like, okay, there might be something here. So they go down to prison. They interview James. And he tells them that, hey, I don't know. I didn't really know her. I just was trying to get somebody to marry me. Now, he was already in prison for writing letters threatening the governor of Florida, right? So he confirms that he's in the vice lords. He's looking to marry her. But, you know, Brandy denied him because I don't even know you, sir. What they ended up finding out is that James, Greg, James, James be playing, okay? So what would James, what James would do to other inmates is he would hover over them as they're writing their letters, right? As they're writing down the address, about to give it off to the CEO to be mailed. And he would memorize the address. And so this wasn't his first time, like writing somebody a letter and offering them money and all of these things for marrying him. I mean, my man was desperate. And so that's exactly what he did for, for Brandy. And so he said, I never met her. I don't know her. You know, I had nothing to do with her murder and the murder of her children. Hey, it just so happened you found my letter. Like, it is what it is. Coincidence. So they leave. They leave the prison. They're trying to find out what happened. And they're awaiting the DNA test to analyze what other blood was found on the scene. And usually the investigators say that the lab test results took like days, sometimes, you know, it took days or weeks. But in this case, it took months, took months for them to get it back. And so, of course, you know, Brandy and the funeral for her children, um, they had that and the whole community came out. Um, the church was overflowed with people in support of Brandy and her family. And while there, one of her older cousins, who was a male, said that he saw Henry and Antonio for the first time. He had never seen them. 
prior to, you know, prior, you know, just in prior to the murders in regular everyday life, when he would come over and visit, visit Brandy and the kids, he never saw them, but he saw them then. And, you know, he could tell that both men were grieving and they just really wanted this case to be solved. And the one thing that her sister cousin remarked was, although the funeral, they had the funeral, and usually in cases unlike this, you have the funeral, and then the funeral is kind of like the close and the start of your grief. Now you can really grieve that death and really kind of like, you know, try to put the pieces of healing back together. But she said something that I think is worth saying again. She said that because the killer was still on the loose, that she had to constantly relive Brandy and the children's death. She could never really put put it at rest until that had the, the seal of we know who did this. They're in jail and they're never getting out. And I think for victims and victims' families, this is the story. There, it, it, it doesn't end at the funeral. It keeps going. And sadly, the police were doing all that they could to solve this case. They were trying to figure it out because they could not figure out where was the benefit. Usually when someone dies or someone is killed, because they didn't just die, they were killed, there's a benefit for somebody. There's a life insurance policy. Somebody is able to benefit from the death, but they could not see a benefit. But what they immediately noticed is that there was no cell phone on the scene. And Brandy lived in her cell phone, like we all do, right? Like if you don't have your phone, how are you living, right? So they didn't find a cell phone and they immediately contact the phone company to get the phone records. And so as the police are like, you know, filtering through her phone records, seeing numbers that were called on Friday and Saturday, they noticed a particular number that kept coming up, right? And one of the te- the detectives said, hey, read that out for me. What's that number? And as the de- other detective read the number, he said, you know what? That sounds very familiar. And if you remember... Henry Seguar said to police or gave police a phone number for his friend to corroborate his alibi. And lo and behold, that is the same number that appeared in Brandy's phone records. The police figure out that the phone number that they're acquainted with belongs to a man by the name of Silas Thornton, and he is now a possible suspect. Now, Silas tells police that he worked with Henry or works with Henry at the same company as a welder. He admits that, yes, he's the owner of the phone, but he does not have the phone and he hasn't had the phone for quite some time. He gave it to Henry and they said, well, how was that possible? Like this phone was active on Friday. He said, well, Henry had it. And Henry told me that the reason why he did not give it back to me is because the phone dropped in water. So it doesn't even work. So, I, you know, at this point, they're able to see that Silas really doesn't have anything to do with what happened to Brandy. Right now, the main suspect is Henry because he had the phone. He had been talking to Brandy 
on the day of the murder. And, you know, Silas, if anything, is just a bystander that gave Henry the phone that he used to talk to Brandy. So he's immediately ruled out. Now, they bring in Henry and... Henry is like, yeah, I I had the phone, but it dropped in water. He gave them that story and said that he put it in rice and it doesn't work. They can have it, but it doesn't work. Right. So the police are like, OK, he's 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 lied. He's not been helping us. So they go through the phone records of the phone that belonged to Silas that Henry was using. And they saw another number that just kept coming up on Henry's burner phone from Silas. That's what we're going to call it. And they called that phone number and it was a woman. And boy, did she have a story because she was Henry's girlfriend And she admits that from the very beginning, Henry told her that he was married, that he had a girlfriend um, that was pregnant. And this, the girl that he was talking to or that police were talking to, she was a girlfriend and she ended up being pregnant as well. And he also said that Brandy was his ex and that she claimed that Javante was hers, but he didn't believe it. And she admitted to police that he never had anything good to say about Brandy. That, you know, he couldn't stand her. He didn't believe that the child was his, that she was just, that Brandy was just trying to put a child off on him. And he just talked so bad about her. But... What they find out from this woman is not only that she t- he talked bad about her, but that Henry was a player. Like, on the outside, optics, he looked like a guy who provided well, but he really liked the affection of multiple women in his life. And this kind of sets up the, the scene for a possible motive. One, although his relationship with Brandy had ended, Brandy was actively trying to get him to come in and support their son, Javante. So the story of the story of Henry that he initially gave to police officers that said, you know, I knew this was my son. I signed the birth certificate. I put myself on child support. They're starting to see that that is on shaky ground, right? So Everything that they thought about Henry is now coming into question. The mistress is singing like a canary bird to investigators. She te- she's telling them all of this information that they did not know. She revealed that Henry would often tell her that he wanted a divorce from his wife. He didn't want to be with her. And he would do all of these very shady acts to his wife. One of them is whenever she suspected that he was cheating, because just that what I can surmise, he wasn't cheating very well. He would leave his main phone at home and he would leave it there with the logic that if he's indeed cheating, he would have all of these women calling his phone throughout the day. But that wasn't the case. And that was the case simply because he was talking to his mistresses on his second burner phone. 
right? Like, and his wife had no idea about that. Not only that, but his wife was so wanting to save their marriage that she wanted them to go to counseling. They go to counseling and he would put his mistress on speakerphone to hear about how he wanted a divorce and, um, you know, hear about all the, the crazy things that were going on in their relationship to kind of put her on Fun Street and to reaffirm to the mistress that he indeed wanted to be done with the marriage. So seeing is not always believing, ladies and gentlemen. You know, when it comes to Henry, he seemed like he had it together. He seemed like he was a laid back, shy, reserved type of guy who did right. But the truth of the matter is, is he was deceptive. He was the snake in the grass that you should be aware of while you're walking through the garden. I mean, he was a manipulator. He was a womanizer. And he was just outright shady. So the police hear all of this information and we have to review all of the kids and responsibilities that he had. Because you remember the police say that you have to kill, usually there's a benefit to someone when someone is murdered, right? They get something. So let's review all of the things that were going on with Henry prior to the murder taking place. The mistress revealed to police that he had a pregnant girlfriend, which was someone else. The mistress that the investigators were talking to was pregnant with his child. He had a girlfriend across town who had two kids that were his, and he also had a wife and kids. And his ex-girlfriend, Brandy and Javante, right? So all of this was taking place prior to the murders. He had a lot of responsibilities, a lot of people that he had to take care of, and a lot of women that he was trying to juggle. As I've said previously, he did not like Brandy. He had a bad taste in his mouth. Kept feeling like Brandy was lying to him about Javante being his. There was just constant angst amongst him and Brandy. The mistress tells police this one piece of information that really kind of perked their ears. She said that days before the murders took place, Henry came over to her house and he was extremely upset. She asked him, you know, why are you so irate? Why are you so angry? What's going on? He didn't say anything to her. But there were rumors swirling around the community that Henry was looking for a firearm. And this really kind of got investigators to believe that Henry had a lot of secrets to protect and his motive was clear. So they brought him back down to headquarters to talk to him. And that's when they kind of confront him with the information that they had, that he had lied about Javante being his or believing that Javante was his and that he said he put himself on child support when that indeed was not the case. And he had this very tumultuous relationship with Brandy and that he was cheating on his wife. Like they tell him everything. And calmly in the interview, you see Henry say, yeah, I mean, I did have a second burner phone. I have been cheating on my wife and I do see multiple women, but that just makes me a cheater and perhaps a liar. But you know, I didn't murder Brandy and them kids, and you're not about to make me, you know, out to be that, and I don't have anything else to say to you guys, 
So he did exactly what MD tells us to do here on Murder in the Black, guilty or innocent. He got a lawyer and that interview came to a close and they didn't have enough to arrest him. So they set out to find enough information to arrest him, even though they knew that he absolutely was a part of this crime and had something to do with it, if not committed the crime. But knowing that somebody has something to do with it and proving it is totally different. So they set out to go get the evidence to back this up. They pulled, now they've already pulled the records from that second burner phone, but they didn't pull location. They pulled location and find out that between 6.55 and 8.07, there was a phone call made from that second burner phone and it put him, Henry, right at Brandy's house. And during the second interview, when they brought him back down and he admitted to cheating, he also said he was never at her home during the time of the murder or in the days leading up to. So they have already caught him in a lie. And right now, their number one source of, of evidence is the cell phone. And while that's good evidence, they need more. They want more. And they're waiting for the DNA, right? Because that's been in limbo for the past couple of months. And they need to figure out, you know, was his DNA found there? Because you remember, at the beginning of the case, we he gave investigators willingly his DNA evidence. So they get the DNA evidence back. They try to compare and contrast and find out that Brandy's blood was saturated throughout the crime scene, that any perpetrator's DNA that was at the crime scene was overpowered by her blood, okay? So they couldn't get a good analysis of the perpetrator's DNA. So, you know, they're kind of back at square one. They're they're back trying to figure out how can we get this silver bullet so that we can arrest this man because we know he did it. We can put him there. We just need evidence, more evidence. So they actually start to inquire about, you know, his whereabouts, what was going on with him leading up to the murder. And they start with the people at his job. Now, there was a man by the name of Calvin Moore, his co-worker, who had some uh, military background, and he was doing a lot of contract work in Afghanistan, and there he was finding that he could get, get paid six figures, and that money wasn't taxed. So he shared that with Henry, and Henry, of course, was super excited, felt like this could be another source of income for his main family, but also his side families. And his wife was just like, yeah, you should do it. But what he didn't know is that if you go to get your passport, your name is ran through a system. And if you have any back child support that you owe, okay, that you owe, you cannot get your passport renewed. So in the time that he's trying to get his passport renewed, he's going back and forth with Brandy. Brandy really feels like, listen, like this is your child. If you don't want to support me, then we're just going to go to the courts and handle it. And that's exactly what she did. She goes to the courts and actually he kind of like sets things in motion. He goes and fills out an application to prove paternity and actually says on the application that Brandy told him that Javante was not his child. And I don't know, but I guess he thought things were going to go in his favor. And he also didn't know the little tidbit about the passport and your name being ran through the system. 
So the courts prove paternity. They send him a letter back and say that, you know, you're proved to be Javante's father and you owe $20,000 in back child support, which means you need to be paying $800 a month until you catch up. And his wife actually opened that letter. And y'all, that's when it all falls down. Yep, it all fell down. Because now he's under this tremendous pressure. Now that his wife knows he got another child and he didn't want Javante to be his in the first place. Now there is a clear motive on why he would want to commit these murders. There's a clear benefit, right? So the police, they arrest him. And of course, you know, the wheels of justice turn slow. And in 2017, Henry goes to trial for murder, for quadruple murder. And y'all, his defense put on such a good counter argument, provided some evidence that the jury was deadlocked. They could not come up with a, a sentence or even convict him. So the judge declared a mistrial. During this time, you know, the prosecutors are getting ready for another trial because they believe they that he did it. They believe that he was the one that did it. And so they're getting ready for that. They discover that he was talking to one of his cellmates. And he admits to his cellmate that he actually did the murder. He's actually responsible for it. And during the second trial, this cellmate is called up to the stand and reveals everything that he knows and everything that Henry admitted. And in 2019, nine years to the day of the murder, he was convicted of, the, of quadruple murder and he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. That is the story of Brandy Peters and her children. As I like to say, let's slide into the takeaways. You know, this case was incredibly sad. And I think the one piece or the one takeaway that I have been able to surmise from this entire case is that sometimes people are not who you believe they are. And the bad boy that Antonio Anthony was, her first baby father, that she knew, she was like, I don't want that again. But then she wound up with a man who looked good on the outside and manipulated her into believing that he was a good guy. And so he decided he didn't want to have anything else to do with the relationship. And then his true colors came out. And seeing is not always believing. You know, sometimes proven behavior shows you who these people are. And she had no idea that he would carry out something so heinous. And she was just trying to get him to do his due diligence. You had this baby with me. I don't care about these other women that you got going on, but you're going to have to take care of this child. Something that he signed up to do. And I just feel like Brandy and her children were cheated out of life. Their lives were cut short for money so that you could hold on to an extra $800. 
and for him to kill those children his even his own I mean for him to kill Brandy right that's that's beyond the scope of what I can even believe myself but then for you to kill those children and then to kill your own flesh and blood that is pure evil and to me he deserves the death penalty I mean because this man is just evil 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 and I think we should all be on guard about people because regardless if we think something is insignificant we think this is not a big deal there are people who are willing to kill behind things and I just think that that that's the world we live in and that's so unfortunate and I would just like to say rest in peace to Brandy and her twins to Maya and Tanaya and her son Javante and I send my condolences to the family this was indeed a tragedy and I hope that bringing him to justice gave you some sense of closure until next time friends this is murder in the black